The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do you wonder how companies monetize their investments in sponsorships of other organizations like sports and franchises and so forth? To answer that question, Ken Unger. Ken, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. So this is a really timely thing. I mean, companies invest in sponsorships. They sponsor teams, ballparks, stadiums, uh, golf, uh, all different kinds of things. And and people shake their head and they just wonder, how do these guys monetize those investments? So uh, we want to talk about that and we just kind of want to get into it. So how do they monetize? What's the main way that companies monetize these investments? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, this is a $67 billion industry. And the reason why it's gotten that big is because it works for companies. Like, So how does it work? One is it improves their image. So the fact that one company sponsors, say, a property like the LA Dodgers, um, because fans love the Dodgers by association, they're going to love that company. And that's called image transfer. So a company will improve its image by doing that. There's another aspect of sponsorship where you are really inserting your product, your service into the dialogue with fans, with people who enjoy a property or enjoy an event. So by virtue of that, you'll, you'll experience an ROI that's equal or greater than what you spend on a sponsorship. And that's why people sponsor. So how does that second one work? The first one I know is true is I appreciate, like, you know, everybody knows I'm a Dodger fan uh, and we all like our favorite teams and, you know, that's which, which is what makes it fun. But, you know, if a company sponsors the Dodgers, I do like that team because I'm saying, you know what, because of you, it's possible for me to enjoy this game. So they're helping me just and that I get that part. How does the second one work, though? How do you insert it into the dialogue? Yeah, there's so many different ways. So if it's a, a B2C um, company, for example, fans will think more highly of your product and be more inclined to try it 
because of the association. So it's not just that they think more highly of you. In a lot of cases, so for example, in auto racing, the numbers are off the charts in terms of fan propensity to buy a product because it sponsors the sport. And the reason why it's so high, say, in in auto racing is because fans understand that without the sponsor, there is no sport. Right? It's a little different than in baseball or football, where baseball will go on without, if the Dodgers didn't have sponsors, baseball would probably go on. But in sports like auto racing, fans understand without Tide, without all these companies uh, and brands that sponsor a certain effort in auto racing, there's no sport. So the statistics demonstrate they will be more inclined to buy that product. Okay. So, I mean, that's how it works on television too. I mean, if there were no ads, there'd be no TV and, and people don't say, uh, you know, they don't, they aren't that forgiving about watching ads on TV. Uh, so why are they more forgiving about watching ads in a sponsor environment than in television? Well, because it's it shouldn't be an ad, right? So a great sponsorship is not an ad. It's about the relationship. And that's really important because if people perceive that there's a gr- crassly commercial motive, like if I'm sponsoring something and I make it clear, I'm only sponsoring this because I want to sell stuff to you, that has a boomerang effect. That's actually a negative to a fan. They won't sell more things. They're probably Their image won't even be enhanced. It'll probably be a negative because – just like in ads, like we don't want to be sold to. So in that case, you have a sponsor that doesn't want to have a commercial motive or at least an overtly commercial motive. They want to support the Dodgers, say, because they want to enhance the experience of their customers who happen to be Dodger fans. So it has to be for a sincere motive, for one that is not crassly commercial. But as a result of that, um, it's going to be probably more effective than an ad because you don't expect being preached to. Right, you're not repulsing the advertisement because it's coming in under a different, a different so banner. That, so that's why they they uh, they put a banner or a sign, but they're not running an ad like on television. Or they might even give out samples or hats with the logo on it or something cool or fun like that. Right, right. right. So you'll see like association with the brand, so that banner or that sign that you see in the outfield. But you're, you're not going to see a 30-second commercial on the, on the video board during the game. What you might see is how that brand interacts uh, with the property. So you might see how they support the Dodgers Foundation, how they interact with the community. Maybe they've left, uh, maybe they've left a premium on your seat, a free, you know, a, a free towel or a free bobblehead or a free bat. So it's what they're doing for the fan. It's not a commercial message. Yeah. Now, you said image transfer. That's the first one. But you also said there was a second one. Are we talking about the first one or are we talking about the second one? They're combined, right? So the the second one is return on investment. So this is return on investment isn't a naked sales transaction because it's dependent on the relationship. The closer the relationship, the more the fan is not expecting a commercial message, but is actually appreciative that their experience has been enhanced their sport has been supported or their event has been supported. And again, the fan or the audience reciprocates by buying the product or the service of the sponsor. How are sponsors measuring their success and ROI? I mean, you know, you put the money in, you give the money to the Dodgers or golf or whatever you do, and, and then a bunch of stuff happens. How do they know that it's being effective? I mean, I guess if they stopped, they would know something, but how do they know? Yeah, that's really important. And nine times out of 10, when we see people leave the sponsorship ranks, when sponsors leave, it's because they don't carefully measure 
uh, what's going on with their sponsorship. So you can measure it by sales. You can measure it by leads that are generated. For example, if you have a product display in the midway area outside the stadium, um, you can generate, if you see how many leads that you've generated as a result of having access to the audience, that's a measure of ROI. If you do product sampling, how many products do you sample? If you're a B2B company, so we talked a lot about B2C so far, but if you're a B2B company, how fast have you been able to move your leads through the sales process to go from prospect to closing as a result of the sponsorship uh, that you've had from a B2B perspective? So there are all these measures, whether it's the sale or whether it's a lead, it's anywhere in the purchase funnel, but you have to measure what the sponsorship is doing for you or, or you won't renew it. You won't stay. So whose whose job is it to measure? Is it the client or is it the sponsorship selling organization? Who provides uh, the metrics? Yeah, it really depends. So if you're if you're involved with a larger company, a lot of times the larger brands have 20, 30, 40, 50 people in a sponsorship department. Often they'll measure. But if you're with mid-market companies and companies that are smaller, it's really divided between the sales or marketing staff and an agency that supports them. So it really depends on the size of the company and the resources that they have. But the one thing is always measure, right? It's the okay. same rule that applies in business. So let's shift gears. You know, you were talking about, you know, people, maybe these companies uh, sponsor baseball because their customers also like baseball. Is that one of the things, I mean, do they look and see what the uh, recreational habits of their people are and, and, and what percent line up? And then how do they know they're going to get new people and not just get the same people? I mean, how do they know that a sponsor is going to bring new people to the table? Yeah, that's a great question. And there are a lot of issues kind of embedded in that, right? So first of all, it shouldn't be what you like. If you're a sponsor, it shouldn't be the sport that you like. It's the sport that your customers like, right? And then you you then cross-reference that against what the audience of the property is. So for example, you know your customers, right? You'll know what they like to do. You'll know their interests, You'll know whether they like baseball or hockey or whether they like auto racing or whether they like to go to museums. You'll know the demographic and psychographic makeup of your customers. Well, the art of sponsorship is to match that up with the property. So if you're working, say, with the Dodgers or with another property, you'll get their demographic and their psychographic information. Obviously, their, their audience loves baseball, right? But we want to know what kind of products do they use? When they're not at the baseball stadium, what interests do they have? Do they like to read? Do they like to watch TV? All those different things that make it up, and then you match it up. You match up the sponsor's audience with the property's audience. And if they're the same, that's a great match. You know, another thing, baseball, for just using it as an example, because I know you have some background in baseball and in, in addition to many other things. Um, when I go to baseball games, which is pretty often because I'm a season ticket holder, I mean, we get a pretty good cross-section of different kinds of people. We get wealthy people, get medium people, get not-so-wealthy people. Uh, there are blue-collar people whose company gives them tickets. So, you know, people that, uh, you know, would normally maybe they would buy the upper deck or sitting on the lower deck. And so we, we get all different kinds of people. And, and actually, people are very well-behaved in the stadium, and people get along very well. It's a, it's a very unique environment in that regard. That's one of the things that's really nice about baseball is that everybody – is pretty well behaved and we all get along because of that reason. But, um, you know, because it's such a wide cross section is, is baseball a hard one for companies to buy into or, 
I guess there's some things that everybody needs. Yeah, I think it's the latter, Joel. I think that there's something that everyone needs, and you're going to break down that audience, right, into um, household income. You're going to break it down into um, ethnic background and diversity. You're going to really understand that audience, and you're going to figure out where within that larger audience your company can hit in terms of in terms of where your customers are. So you'll have customers who want to hit people with a high household income. You'll have people who um, want to hit uh, people with certain interests so they can sub-segment that audience. And again, it puts a premium on whether that property understands who's coming to the ballpark, right? Because that's really important. You just want to ascertain that there's a big enough, you know, audience for your company, if you're a sponsor, to speak to, right? If it's just the general population, that's a, that's a pretty poor target. The more concentrated that you can target that, the more likelihood is that you'll you'll be able to improve your image and sell the goods and services that you're trying to sell because you have to match so, it up with your audience. So just just um, I'll name off some sports. How do they skew high or low in terms of income? You know, baseball is that a high income sport? Medium, diversified? It's kind of medium, right? It's kind of middle of the road, especially what's happening now in the major stick and ball sports. I won't ask you what you pay for your season tickets, but it's probably pretty dear. Yeah. And even kind of even, you know, a day, let's just take a day at an NFL game for a family of four. That could be a five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred dollars Sunday. Oh, so it's, it's probably many, it's probably way more than that. It's probably you know, way more than that. For, especially. for a family of four. Right. You know, I mean, for a family of two, it's probably you know, <laughs> that price because the price of the seats, the parking the hot dogs. I mean, and then the kid wants to get a Jersey or something, you know, and they, they've got a lot of different ways to leave money in the ballpark. Believe me. Exactly. And, and okay. So baseball kind of skews in the middle. I, I think I, I would, you know, I would say that's fair because you have high and low income people that kind of average. How about basketball? Basketball is more expensive than baseball. Basketball is more expensive. I I'd say it's kind of, it, it leans a little up there from, from baseball. Um, but again, there's great diversity in that audience. And so then you have to break it down. Who are the people attending in arena versus who are the people watching on television? Right. Because but not all for- sponsorships show up on TV. Also, some are only in the stands. Some, I mean, if it's going to show up on TV, that TV station wants a piece of the action. They're going to want to, you know, or they want to participate somehow. Right. That's great. And that's exactly right. However, what's happening now with sponsorship is that they're not just what we call terrestrial, right? It isn't just in the arena or in the ballpark. It's your email list. It's social media. It's having the ability to talk via your website and via YouTube. And so really that relationship now transcends sitting in a seat watching a game in arena or in stadium. It's way beyond that. And we've especially seen in the last few months, we've seen the importance of that you know, electronic relationship in order to reach fans wherever they are. So that's, that's, well, I, mean, I mean, look, so what, you know, these, these, uh, you know, these base, these, these uh, properties, these franchises, the teams, uh, they are media companies, you know, they're not the media company like ABC, NBC, but they're a media company in that they own, uh, you know, substantial uh, email lists and they own a YouTube channel and they have all the other things that, uh, that are important. So let's keep going a little bit. How about hockey? How does hockey skew? Hockey skews a little lower than that. Lower than basketball? L- lower than basketball. And so y- you really have a great audience. And one of our one of our clients, Honda, feels really strongly is the official car of the NHL, reaches a lot of people via that. Um, they they end up 
so for example, um, a lot of Odyssey owners <laughs> are uh, are hockey fans. So you have a great audience. You have the Honda Center uh, nearby, uh, and so again, the stick and ball sports. When I say higher or lower, they're still all pretty high, right, relative to other sports. So if you look at things like golf, like golf and say auto racing, tennis, very high. Well, so right. So let's get to those. So yeah. how does how does how does golf skew? Pretty high. Yeah, golf has some of the highest household income levels of any sport. And again, it's it's just a matter of the game, how expensive the game is to play, and that people who play golf tend to be uh, people who like to watch golf on television. So you have the fans of golf have a pretty high um, household income level compared to other sports. Now, you started to mention auto racing. Auto racing is the one that's always surprised me the most because I don't really understand it uh, well. But uh, but that one draws more sponsorship dollars than anything, right? Yeah, it's a matter of necessity because for for auto racing, if you're a race team, you do not get to the track without sponsorship. So they're probably 80, 90 percent funded with sponsor dollars. The rest comes from prize money. That is not true of any other sport. Right. So football. Well, what, what about what about golfers? I mean, it's terribly expensive to be a golfer and travel uh, from uh, tournament to tournament. And if they don't win, uh, they're washed out pretty fast. It's a real it's a real doggy dog sport. What a hard life, right? There, how many yeah. PGA professionals are out there? But how many do you know? Well, <laughs> right? the, thing, you know the, the funny thing about that, and I was, you know, as you know, I was in the uh, the media business for a long time, and I had PGA credentials, and I was uh, going to golf tournaments all the time. And uh, you know, there are fifty guys that are well known, and there's tens of thousands of guys that want to be players, right? And they and they travel the country going to tournaments, and they barely cover their travel expenses and all the other expenses that they have right. to be a professional. Right. So it is really tough. So sponsorship is important in golf, right? But by the time you get to the PGA level, that prize money, uh, especially with tournaments where people are sponsoring those tournaments for seven, ten million dollars, you could put up prize money that that could support a number of professionals. Not true in auto racing. But that drops off pretty steep. I mean, the guy number one, two, three, and four, they make a lot, but it drops off pretty fast. So the guys that are coming in 20th place, uh, you know, they're not taking a big cut. They're barely getting enough too. Right, exactly. But, you know, if, you, if you're comparing golf to, to auto racing, again, auto racing heavily dependent on sponsorship. It simply wouldn't exist without it. I think about that every time I go to a football game, right? Every NFL team wants to have a complete set of sponsors, but in the end, if all the sponsors in the NFL went away, they'd still have their billion-dollar you know, television contract. They'd still well, have all these revenue streams. Is, is a football team is a couple hundred people that are part of a company that does billions of dollars. And so there's 32 companies that are all playing against each other, whereas in golf, it's one person and a few other helpers, you know, a caddy and a, a little staff. And the auto racing is one, you know, one driver and a few other guys that are busy helping them keep the car going. And, you know, the, but that's the whole thing about it is that they, uh, it's, a, it's a giant, the Dodgers is a giant enterprise. Football teams are giant enterprises. Every hockey and basketball is a giant enterprise. And, you know, it's just, it's, it, the mechanics are different. I don't know that everybody sits and thinks about how different those things are, but that really uh, kind of defines the landscape. Yeah, it's really fascinating because, you know, there's sports as an industry. And then within sports, um, each different one is a unique animal, right? Football really different than golf, golf really different than auto racing. But but what 
you find, especially now in 2020, is it is big business. And so you'll have, you know, these hundred person organizations generating billions of dollars of revenue in television and sponsorship and ticket revenue and hospitality and merchandise. Um, it's an incredible industry. So I, th- I think of um, sports in, in the bucket of entertainment and recreation. And some people would say it's different than that, but I, I think about it as entertainment and recreation. And uh, what other industries get sponsorship? Are there other industries beside uh, entertainment and recreation? Yeah, so about 30% of the sponsorship in the U.S. So worldwide, it's about 63 million, 60, sorry, $63 billion. U.S., it's about $20 billion. And about 30% of that is not-for-profits, museums, music festivals, kind of this whole category that's not um, not sports. So if you look for it not-for-profits, that's definitely not recreational. That's not entertainment. These are not-for-profits that are looking for sponsorship that, in addition to donations and their fundraising, are looking for a revenue stream to support their operations. So it's in the family of advertising, as sponsorships are, but... Uh, nonprofits count it that way too. They count it as uh, they they have a line item called sponsorship, right? And what is a non what is a not for profit sponsorship typically look like? It's done between a say a company and a not for profit, but it is not done for charitable purposes. So it is not treated the same way as a donation, right? It, okay. It, it it is revenue that is straight up revenue to the not for profit. So that company somehow wants access to the. Uh, donors or the people that frequent that environment, and uh, they're they're making a commercial entree into that business, you know. And this and the the sponsorship dollars are uh, not treated as uh, unrelated business income. That's correct. And so, what you really get, if you see this on the website of the largest companies that that often are the targets of not for profit sponsors, they say, "We're not donating to your organization. We want to know in your sponsorship application how you are going to benefit our business." So it's it's very much a for-profit transaction in a not-for-profit environment, but uh, it could be very lucrative for the not-for-profit. So what is that? Is that a, is that like an IRS exception for those nonprofits, or or because it's it's like them getting advertising? I mean, right? So. It, it exactly. It's it's very much treated like advertising, and of course, you would know about the tax treatment better than I would. <laughs> but but really, yeah. what what a company's looking for it, it is access to the audience of the not-for-profit. Now, what's happening now is because of the growing importance of corporate social responsibility, you have a lot of companies that are looking to express that CSR policy through sponsorship. Which is what? So, for example, um, sustainability of the environment, right, could be a a corporate social responsibility policy of a large company, right? They want to have their operations be more environmentally sustainable, have a smaller carbon footprint, so you might have that company um, sponsor an organization like World Wildlife Foundation or something else that has a more environmental or kind of um, sustainability um, uh, a motive. Now, that still would be a sponsorship, right? They're looking for benefit to their business. It's not a donation. But you now, what you're seeing, and this is true in the last three or four years, and I think this trend's going to continue. You see these sponsorships with not-for-profits have more of a have more of a CSR or corporate social responsibility theme to it. They're expressing that policy through a sponsorship, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. Do you think, uh, you know, without being overly cynical, do you think that they're doing that uh, to kind of look really good and look like they're putting their money in the right place? You know, even if they're not necessarily running their business consistently with how they're doing that. 
I mean, do you Sometimes, think that's happening a lot? Yeah, I, th- I don't know if it's happening a lot. I think it, it happens. But I think looking at some of the survey data about what consumers are thinking, I think people are becoming more and more dis- disillusioned with government and with the government's ability to solve social problems. So the interesting thing is that, and these, this is survey data, which, which is showing that people are now looking to companies where this never happened, right? This is certainly, for my generation, we were always looking for, to government to solve societal problems. Now people are looking at companies to solve societal problems. So they want them to be more climate conscious. They want them to be more conscious of social goals. They want them to do all these things. In fact, especially from millennials, the millennial generation and Gen Z, they're demanding that brands act in this kind of, in this socially responsible manner. So whether or not the company, their motive is pure or impure, the action is the same because if they want to connect with those, with, with those audiences in, that, in those generations, they're going to have to act differently than they did 10 or 20 years ago. Well, hopefully they're getting that, that transfer that you talked about in the very beginning that I like A and because B sponsors A now, I sort of like B too. You right. know what I mean? And that's happening. And that's happening in that, and again, what you see in consumer data is they're making decisions more than any more than any time before, right? You think that people are very price conscious, and I'm not saying people are not as price conscious, but they're making decisions based on different things than older generations have. How are, uh, how are some really good companies, best practices, uh, how are they monetizing leads? How are they how are they figuring out how to get leads so they can close them? I mean, middle market companies like what our show uh, attracts, uh, they don't do image-based advertising where they just blanket out a bunch of stuff and hopefully people know our name better. And most companies that are following us that are kind of in that middle market area, uh, to say 20 million to a billion dollars, those kinds of companies, they want to get leads that they can close and do some kind of direct selling, direct measuring. So what do, what do you see? Yeah, our experience with middle market companies, especially in the lead generation area, from a from how do you move that lead first? How do you acquire that lead, and then how do you move that lead to close? Um, the era of cold calling, while still important, right? Cold calling is still important. What you're seeing now is a lot of content marketing and thought leadership embedded embedded in that content marketing. So you see a lot of these companies talk about. Um, they're trying to solve consumer problems and they're putting content in the market that help consumers solve problems, leading that consumer to the product. So they're trying to push leads through the system from really from discovery. If you look at the purchase funnel from awareness all the way to close, to closing a transaction, they're trying to push consumers through that product funnel, those leads through the product funnel through content marketing uh, by just, by helping them solve problems and whether it's social media, whether it's web, whether it's email marketing, you're really not just saying, Hey, buy my product. You're really giving consumers a reason to, to buy the product because it solves a problem that they might be looking for in Google or they might be looking for um, elsewhere. You're helping them discover that your product or service is the, uh, the answer to what they've been looking for. Hmm. Okay. And um, and what uh, what are some of the best companies doing? You know, either either when they're buying advertising or when they're selling it. I mean, we're always looking for the inside track, the best, smartest, and fastest way to to be successful and make things happen. What are the best companies doing to be successful with this strategy of marketing? 
Yeah, I think they're they're trying to make um, consumers buyers, and they're not trying to sell a product. So again, it's how how can they uh, create discovery, right? The 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 best sales, the strongest sales, are ones when the consumer finds you, as opposed to you going out and putting, say, um, straight up advertising in their face, right? Or being aggressive with your message. Um, it's how can you make uh, consumers, people who who uh, would buy your goods or service, how to make them a buyer, as opposed to you being a seller. Uh, the best companies in the market are doing that, um, and then they're enjoying a, a greater return on investment as a result of that. And how about the sellers of those sponsorships? I mean, how are they doing that? How are they seeding the marketplace with information so that consumers can kind of jump on those pieces of information? Yeah, it's interesting. So in the sponsorship um, arena, what those sponsors are doing is they're trying to be very subtle about the message that they're doing. Again, it's it's really about discovery. So first thing they do is they integrate into the sponsorship that they've purchased. So if it, again, we'll go back to the Dodgers because um, it's it's a great team and a great example. It's they want to be part of the game of baseball. They want to be part of the in stadium experience. They want to be part of the fan getting ready to go to the game, going to the game and coming home from the game. So as part of that process, that exposure that that sponsor would have helping that fan through the process, right? That will lead the fan to, to considering um, that sponsor later in the process. So when they're ready to buy a car, if Chevrolet is the sponsor of the Dodgers and they are, um, they'll be more inclined to check out Chevrolet because of what Chevrolet, how Chevrolet has embedded in their lifestyle. Because really, the more that a brand is embedded in the lifestyle of whatever your customer, but whatever sport or museum or music, the more that a company is integrated with that, the more that a consumer will relate to that and then give you the benefit of the doubt when it comes time to purchase. What I'm hearing you say is that there's a process. Now, large companies are really good at processes. Tiny companies don't have it. And the medium ones that we address, uh, they're, they're kind of evolving into some of these. Some of them have it, some of them don't. What does a really good process look like? I mean, I mean, a process is a, a hard thing. It's like a recipe. It's like a formula. I mean, it's, it's hard to figure out. And it's not necessarily transportable from one company to the next. So how do companies create these processes that they can insert their, their little strategies into? Yeah, from the sponsorship perspective, the way that they can go about it from a process perspective is one, identify and understand your customer base. Kind of that's step one. And if you don't, and I, we see even the mid-market companies don't have a deep knowledge of their customers, right? And that's the, the demog- everything from the demographics, age, household income, gender, to this, what we call the psychographics. Um, what do they do when they're, when, you know, in their, in their free time? What do, they, what do they believe in? What are those things that make them tick from a behavior perspective? Do they like camping? Do they go fishing? Do they go hunting? So one is understand your customer. Then if you're interested, if you think that sponsorship, if you think that having a relationship um, with another company, with an organization, with a museum, with a not-for-profit is valuable, understand the customer, understand the audience base of that property. So find out more of where your customers are hanging out when they're not buying your goods and services. Where do they hang out? Where do they live? What do they like? 
and then start to talk, you know, really step three in that process is engage that property, the Dodgers, a museum, a not-for-profit in a discussion about how they can help introduce who you are and what you stand for as a business to their audience because you've done your homework. So the first and second steps, you've done your homework. So you know that your audience is hanging out with that property. How could that property help introduce you, whatever that is, whether it's a sign, whether it's just a relationship, whether it's an opportunity to speak to those customers, that's the last step of the process. And then of course, if you know going in what your goals are, sales from a sales perspective or from an image perspective, then you overlay, will that process yield that result? That's really the formula for every sponsorship, large and small. Listen, that's, that's the inside track right there. Is, is the, that is the best, smartest, and fastest way to lay down a strategy, lay down a process, and figure out how all the pieces are going to fit together. And that's, that's what this show is about, profit from the inside, is how to make money from uh, the inside track. So let me, let me just ask one last set of questions. Um, I take guys out to the ballpark all the time. I mean, I, I just, I love taking guys to the ballpark, you know, and other people like taking them to golf tournaments and other guys, other people like taking people uh, to here or there, whatever, you know, but people tend to like what they do and they tend to connect with other people who like to do the same kind of things. Now that doesn't mean, uh, you know, people invite me to a hockey game and I'm not a hockey fan, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it for a couple hours. Um, how important is liking the thing you know, and remember again that there's the, there's your customers, and, and then there may be your suppliers, or, or there, there, I guess I guess there's all different levels of customers. But how important is liking the the, the sport, uh, and and how likely are your customers to like what you like? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting issue, and it, it's a place where a lot of companies get tripped up. So it's it is important that you like it and your customers like it right? That's kind of a foundational thing. But there's a difference between sponsoring an event. So it's different It's different between taking a prospect to a baseball game because you both like baseball games, right? That's called hospitality or client entertainment. The question is whether your company is a fit for that baseball team, for the sport of baseball, for the stadium, then a sponsorship relationship is possible and that's when a sponsorship relationship may be more suited to you than just hospitality, right? They're different. And so a lot, of, a lot of companies get confused about that. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a sponsorship that they don't need or that doesn't fit them. So yes, you have to like it because your prospects have to want to do it, but you have to be a fit to that sponsorship to go to that, that next that's level. That's a really great distinction, the hospitality versus the sponsorship. I never really distinguished between those things. And so this is really helpful for me too. Um, so the hospitality thing is where people kind of see eye to eye, they're hanging out, they're having a drink together, they're doing, they're talking, they're whatever they're doing. And then, you know, and that's kind of the client level. That's the prospect level. Um, on the broader base level, that's where the sponsorship and the advertising thing hangs out. And, and that's where you're meeting new people, not necessarily entertaining the same ones. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. And love that. It, yep. That's uh that's awesome. Well, listen, Ken, you've been, a, you've been a great guest. Thank you for sharing uh, all this insight and information about uh, sponsorship and uh, just about how to, how to maximize those opportunities. Uh, your information uh, will be in the show notes so people can reach out to you and let's stay in touch. What do you say? 
Thanks, Joel. I'll see you at Dodger Stadium, no doubt. You can count on it. All right. Thanks, Thanks, man. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000. And download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.